Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word Reveal Jesus to me and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of our new series is simply this, I've Got Questions. I've Got Questions. And I don't know if you've ever heard any of these quotes before, but I think they're worth mentioning to you because questions are important. Listen to this. The only dumb question is the question you don't ask. How about this? Without questions, there is no learning. And last but not least, to ask the right question is already half the solution to the problem. Come on, can somebody say amen? Questions are important. And we're going to do three things in this series. First, starting right now, right now today, we want to acknowledge, all of us, we want to acknowledge that we all have questions. We have questions about God. We have questions about faith. We have questions about life. We have questions about culture. And I want for us to know that God wants us to come to Him with our questions, and we don't have to be ashamed, and we don't have to hold back. Second, we want to talk about the right way to ask questions. There's a right way, there's a posture of heart, a right way, and then there's a wrong way to ask questions. And third, we want to discover how and where to find the answers to our questions so that we'll be enabled to live strong, stable, victorious Christian lives. If you're with me, say amen. Now, I just want to set this up. Most of the time, I'm delivering a message around 35 minutes. That's not going to happen today. We're going to go a little longer, maybe a little more detailed, a little deeper. If you can't hang, you're welcome to leave, but I wouldn't because you're going to miss out on the best. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read a bunch of verses from here, and then we're going to flip over to 2 Timothy. But I won't tell you which chapter yet because you're going to start looking at it, and I don't want you to do that. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, he's a spiritual father, and he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's writing to him so that he can do a better job, he can be a great pastor, he can bring nurturing and and spiritual growth to the church that he's assigned to. In verse 1, 1 Timothy 4.1, he says this, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times... Some will depart from the faith. He says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now let me pause. He's got this revelation. He's got this insight, Paul, from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is pointing something out to him. He's saying, listen, Timothy, I want you to know the Holy Spirit has showed me 
that in latter times, some are going to depart from the faith. Not just faith like in believing, but from the essential teachings of Christendom. They're going to depart. Some are going to depart from the faith in latter times. Latter times are the times between Jesus' first coming and His second and final coming. That's right now. If Paul thought he was in latter times, how many believe and know we're in latter times today? He says some are going to fall away. They're going to depart. Now, I believe that those are Christians. Some commentaries would say it could be Christians. It could be just people hanging around the church. But this is just my opinion. But in order to depart or to fall away, first you had to be part of something. First you had to be in something. You had to be on it. You had to be with it. And there's going to be some Christians that are walking with Jesus that are going to stop walking with Him. And then he says, why? They're going to give into, they're going to buy into, they're going to take heed, pay attention to. Listen to what it says. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines means teachings. Teachings in the church that are going to start in the church, going to start in some religious gathering, but they're teachings that are developed in the pits of hell. Pastor Robert, how could there be such things? Well, it rooted all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent shows up and he starts to question God's authority. He starts to bring questions to Eve and he began to cunningly get in there. And that was the start of these teachings from deceiving spirits. Deception is tricky because you don't even know when you're being deceived. You think it's true. It looks true. But because you really don't know the difference between the genuine and the counterfeit, you get deceived. He's saying, so some are going to fall away. Let's continue in chapter, verse 2. He says, they're going to be speaking lies in hypocrisy. They don't really believe what they're teaching, and they're just faking it. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they're going to become desensitized to the truth. They're going to become desensitized to the doctrine that is truth from the Scriptures, from God. And they're not even going to feel it. They're not going to sense it. They're just going to give in all the way. They're not even going to know when they're being led astray. He goes on and he says, they're going to do things like say you have to forbid to be married, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, in Paul's day, there was a religion, and it might be today too, Gnosticism, from the Greek word gnosis or gnosis. And it means to know. Gnosticism practiced It's a special knowledge that you can have and only few people can have it. And by that special knowledge, you get saved. But then they used to kind of bring legalistic approaches to salvation. And that's what he's talking about. There are foods that we should be eating. We just got to thank God for them. God doesn't want us to refrain from getting married unless he specifically told you to do that. How many of you believe marriage is a blessing? Amen. That's part of this doctrine of demons. He goes on and he says, for every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Verse 6. Listen to the instruction to Timothy. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Notice the difference. There's a, there's a demonic doctrine, there's a deceiving doctrine, and then there's a good doctrine. 
the good doctrine that Timothy has followed. Verse 7, notice. But reject profane and old wives' fables. Old wives' fables means myths. Just sayings, myths that aren't rooted in good doctrine. People are saying religious things, but they don't really have any fundamental rootedness in the Scriptures or in God or in Jesus. They're just myths. He says, reject those. And then he says this, and exercise yourself toward godliness. This word exercise, it's the Greek word gumnazo. G-Y-M-N-A-Z-O. Gym. Do you see the word gym? G-Y-M. And that's where they get the word gymnasium. He's saying, like you would exercise physically, exercise yourself towards godliness. Notice he says, for bodily exercise profits a little. Amen. It profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. Notice, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. If you want to experience more of the blessings of God, more of the favor of God, more of God's goodness in your life, you and I have to make a decision to exercise our spiritual muscles towards godliness. Godliness is godlikeness. Becoming more and more conformed and transformed to Christ-likeness. That's what he's telling him to do here. And then he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. What's the saying? Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. It has promise for this life and the one that you're going to spend on the other side of the gates. Amen. Godliness, it's profitable. Verse 9, verse 10. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, Because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Now, when he says the Savior of all men, he doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's saved. That's universalism. That's a false doctrine. Not everybody goes to heaven. That's a lie. It's a lie. He's saying everyone, Jews and Greeks probably, Jews, Greeks, those that are Gentiles and those that are Jews, they're all going to be saved if they put their faith in the living God and the Savior. Notice verse 11. He says, these things command and teach. Wow, a pastor's role is to command some things and to teach some things for the benefit of the sheep, for the benefit of the congregation. Verse 12, listen to this. He says, Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Let no one look down on you because you're a younger pastor. Most scholars believe he was probably in his 30s when he was pastoring the church in Ephesus. Don't let anybody look down on your youth. On the contrary, be an example to the believers in word, what you say, in conduct, how you live, in love, your love for God and love for others, in spirit, in your attitude, in faith, that's your faithfulness, and in purity, your holiness before God. Verse 13, notice what he says to him. Till I come, give attention to what? To reading. Reading what? The Scriptures, the Bible, right? To exhortation. That's encouraging. That's strengthening the body of Christ. And then he says to doctrine. What's doctrine? It's teaching. He's telling them as a pastor, these are three at the top of the list. These are the three things you have to pay attention to. Reading the Scriptures, 
exhorting your people in the Scriptures and teaching the Word of God. Verse 14, I love it. He says, don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So apparently, when Timothy was ordained as a pastor, the leaders came around him, they laid hands on him, they prayed for him, and by the Holy Spirit, they prophetically declared some things over him. This gift was imparted. This gift is a charismata. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit that Timothy has now. And Paul's saying, don't neglect the gift. You need the gift. You can't do this without the gift. Other chapter, he says, stir yourself up. Stir up the gift. Verse 15, look at this. He says, meditate on these things. What things? Everything he's written so far. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Give yourself entirely means immerse yourself in these things. Think about these things. All in. Dive in. Not one foot. All the way. Give yourself to these things entirely to them. Why? So that your progress, Timothy, will be evident to all. Your pastor should be progressing in his walk with the Lord. Your pastor should be paying attention to the Scriptures, teaching good doctrine, living a life that's an example in word, in conduct, in speech, in purity, in faith, in love. That's what he's telling him he needs to be doing. Notice verse 16. Take heed to yourself. Pay attention to yourself, Timothy, and to the doctrine, to the teaching. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So important for me to continue in the doctrine. So important for me to stay with God's Word, regardless of what's happening in our culture. It's important for me to do that for my sake. And it's important for me to do that for your sake. Right? I can't take you places that I'm not going. I can't teach you things that I'm not understanding, that I'm not receiving. This is a charge to Timothy. This is a charge to every pastor. So he's warning him about an impeding falling away of Christians because they're going to be deceived by false doctrine. And he's saying, listen, you need to stand your guard. You need to be an effective minister. Pay attention to the teaching. Pay attention to the doctrine so that you'll save yourself and those who hear you in your church. Can somebody say amen? It's so important. Now, flip over real quick to 2 Timothy Chapter 3. Paul's still writing. This is the second letter to Timothy. And chapter 3, I'm going to just read the first few verses. Listen to what he says here. So similar. He says, but know this, Timothy, know this, that in the last days, last days and latter times that we just read in 1 Timothy 4.1, they're synonymous. Last days refer to the time between Jesus' first coming and His final second coming. Okay? Those are the last days. He says, notice this, there are going to be perilous times that will come. Some other versions may say harsh, savage, difficult, dangerous, fierce, grievous times, hard to deal with. Listen to this. The word perilous describes a society of people that is without any godly virtues and running rampant with sinful vices. That's perilous times. Now, he lists these characteristics that people are going to have that are going to be in these last days. That's today. 
Notice what he says. For men, I want to also say that includes women. It's talking about mankind, not just males. For mankind will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving. Slanderers. Without self-control. Anybody watch any news lately? Can you see some of this happening right now today in our culture? Brutal. Despisers of good. Traitors. Headstrong. Haughty. Notice this is, this is like lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. All about me. And then he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. In other words, there's going to be people in our society, in the church, that have a form of godliness. They're saying the right things. They got the religious jargon. They're coming to church. They're members. They fill a pew. But they deny the power, the essential power, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. They deny the transformative power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. How do you know that? Because of the way they live. How do you know they deny it? Because they're not yielded. They're not yielded to the Lord. They're not yielded to the Word. They're living the same way they lived years ago. There's no effort to want to be transformed. And they got several of these things going on in their life. Now listen to me. I want to be as gracious as I can. I know we're not perfect. I know we could look through this and you might be dealing with some of this stuff. God loves you. As long as you're yielded and you're willing to allow Him to keep shaping you and molding you and transforming you, you don't have anything to be worried about. These are lifestyles. These are lifestyles of people that shape their life. And this is hypocrisy at its worst. And he's saying, you need to be aware. This is what's going to be happening in the last days. You need to understand that there's going to be people who are tooting their Christian horn. But at the core, they're denying the power of God. Now, the title for today's message, message number one in this series is this. What in the world is going on? Come on, would you say it with me? What in the world is going on? And here's my subtitle, Stabilizing My Life in an Unstable World. Stabilizing My Life in an Unstable World. We're definitely living in unstable, shaky times. And our culture and our society at large has more and more people asking a lot of questions. Listen. Questions that we once didn't even have to ask before. Not only that, but depending on who you ask, your answer to the same questions vary, V-A-R-Y, vary, V-E-R-Y, much. Same question, different people, but the answer is going to vary from one person to the next. Let's be honest. I mean, we've got questions. We've got questions about marriage. We've got questions about living together outside of marriage. We've got questions about God. We've got questions about abortion. We've got questions about religion and faith. Come on, can I say it? 
We've got questions about homosexuality. We've got questions about heaven. We've got questions about hell. We've got questions about gender identity. We've got questions about children's gender identity. We've got questions about whether parents should influence their own child's gender identity. We've got questions about politics. We've got questions about wars and rumors of wars and finances. We've got questions about all kinds of stuff. And in addition to all this, it seems like the generational gap is growing larger and larger. Generational gap meaning thoughts, beliefs, and ideologies that separate one generation from the next. The gap is getting larger and larger. The political gap is growing larger and larger. Listen, the gap between the world and Christians is growing larger and larger. There are gaps starting to become more and more obvious within the church and of our own beliefs in God and the Bible. In the church, the gaps are getting more and more obvious. Now, all of this being true, listen to me, how we ask questions and what questions we ask and who we ask really do make a difference. And at the end of the day, questions and answers help to set the foundations to the lives that you're building, not only for yourselves, but if we're being honest, in part for the future of your children and your grandchildren. So, Pastor Robert, what's the first thing we need to know? Listen, the first thing we need to know, here's a fill in the blank, that there is a difference between questions and questioning. There is a difference between questions and questioning. Listen, questions asked in sincerity come from a desire to seek truth and understanding from God. For example, Nicodemus, a religious leader, he hears about Jesus, he's aware of Jesus, he comes to Jesus by night, and he comes to Jesus with honest questions about the kingdom of God and how does a person become born again when he's old? Does he enter again into his mother's womb? These were questions that were sincere and they were from the heart. Those are questions. Questioning, on the other hand, that comes from skepticism and individualism and many times seek to, listen, subvert authority and pre-existing truth and seeks to break free from a healthy boundary that God has created. For example, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, they sought to entangle Jesus in his words and subvert his authority and discredit him. In Mark chapter 12, verse 14, it says, They went to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that you're an honest man. Listen to the manipulation. You're not afraid of what others think about you. All people are the same to you, and you teach the truth about God's way. Tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Should we pay them or not? Now, when you read the context, it says that they were sent to trip Jesus up and to catch him in his words. These weren't questions from sincerity and honesty and humility. This was questioning to try to trap him, to, to get him to say what they wanted him to say and put him in a bad spot. So the first thing you need to know, listen to me, 
By the way, I was praying this morning, and I just sense in my spirit that some of the things we're going to share this morning, these can become keys for you that will help you to unlock your fullest potential in Jesus. You got to get keys are spiritual, and God gives them to us so that we can shut things up and we can open things up. And this is a key. You got to know, I got to know, there's a difference between questions and questioning. There's a big difference. With this, we need to realize that the world has changed dramatically. Anybody believe that? Barbara, has the world changed since you were a little girl, Barbara? The world changed a lot, hasn't it? The knowledge of God, listen, is being systematically erased from people's consciousness in our country and in our culture. And at large, our culture is one of extreme individualism, primary important self, right? Extreme individualism and has rejected absolute truth and is ungodly to the core. That's our culture at large. And as a result, listen, as a result, our culture is becoming lawless and has embraced the deception that all we have is love. And love is expressed in embracing and affirming each one's self-realized truth. And this causes a rejection of God's word as the truth and the final authority, which in turn has caused us to question the Bible and be skeptical of God's ways. And this can be understand, uh, understood in seeing this progression. I want to take us on a progression. If you have the handout, there's some fill in the blanks. This is the progression. Our culture over the years has gone from modernism to postmodernism to applied postmodernism. If you don't know what those are, that's okay. I'm going to just give us a sketch, a 30,000 view, 30,000 foot view sketch so you can kind of get it just a little bit, okay? Here's your first blank. Modernism. What's modernism? Modernism is a movement towards modifying traditional Christian beliefs in accordance with modern ideas. We're a progressive country. We need to progress with it. And now this movement was started by a man named Friedrich Nietzsche who came to believe that there is no God to determine what is right or wrong and there is no real meaning or intrinsic value to life. Let me give you an example of modernism thinking. It would be something like this. Um, God loves all people, so no matter how people live, they can keep living that way because God loves them no matter what. See what we've done? We've reinterpreted the Scriptures. Sure, God is love, and He does love all people, but because of His love, He sent Jesus so that they can repent, turn from their way, follow Him, be saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit and experience transformation and be in a relationship with Him. He loves people, but He doesn't love the way people live. But that's modernism. Come on, the times have changed, and we need to change with the times. That's a modernism mentality. And then it progressed to post-modernism. That's a step further. Post-modernism came about in the 1950s. And listen, it concludes that there is no absolute truth. There is none. The conclusion was 
that existing absolutes were a product of the Judeo-Christian values that helped to construct or shape Western civilization for the purpose of the elite gaining and maintaining power. The elite are the highly educated, sophisticated, upper class of people. That's what they thought truth was for. And so, all existing absolutes are simply power plays and should be questioned. It's based in relativity. Relativism. In other words, what's true for you is good. Whatever's true for me is good. There is no absolute truth. You can live in the truth that you define as truth. That's postmodernism. Now, applied postmodernism. A little step further. Listen to this. Applied postmodernism not only says there is no absolute truth, but that existing absolutes must be destroyed. Applied postmodernists conclude that the influence of the Jail Christian values that shaped the Western civilization could not be erased because they were too deep in the fabric of society. So the solution is to seek to destroy those Christian values altogether. Come on. How many of you can see that we're living that out today? Right? If you think you're a cat, you can meow in class. And the teachers can't do anything about it because they'll be reprimanded. Now, that's just an example of a cat, but you know what I'm saying, right? And how is this happening? It's happening because we're living in an applied postmodern society. Whatever's true to me is true to me. There is no absolute truth. By the way, we have to get rid of that thinking that there's absolute truth. That's not going to shape me, and it's not going to shape our society. You're going to listen. You're going to call me by my pronouns, for example, no matter what. That's where we're living at today. That's just one example. Now, here's the big question. How does all of this apply to us as Christians? It applies because you need to wake up, and I need to wake up, because this is the culture that we're living in right now, and whether we realize it or not, it influences us, it influences our families, and it influences the church. By the way, speaking of the church, this is where the term deconstruction of faith comes in. Deconstruction of faith. Let me explain that to you. Deconstruction is the embracing of postmodern and applied postmodern ideologies that lead to questioning and ultimately the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's Word as final authority. That's deconstructionism. We're going to tear it all down, and we're just going to lean into this applied postmodern mentality. There's no absolute truth. We've got to get rid of it, and this is how we're going to move forward. So my point is this. We've got to know there's a difference between questions and questioning. They come from two different places of man's heart. Okay? Here's the second thing we need to know. How we ask questions determines the answers we get And where they come from. So, we have to learn to posture our hearts humbly before God. Because the truth is, God is the source of all truth. Come on, that's a good place for an amen. And with every question we have about God, about faith, about life, about culture, God has the answer. God has the truth. There are so many Bible verses to substantiate that. 
But just notice Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. Proverbs is a book of wisdom written by King Solomon. Listen to what it says. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come understanding. And from his, excuse me, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Notice, if you, if you look at this, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, you, you would think firsthand they're all the same. They're similar, but they're not the same. For example, wisdom is the ability to rightly apply the truth. That's wisdom. By the way, just because you have knowledge or you know something, that doesn't necessarily mean that you also possess wisdom. Wisdom starts with God. And, and God wants to give you wisdom, skills for living, so that you know how to apply His truth in any given situation. Wisdom is necessary. Knowledge is, is, is research and investigative study and your understanding and your insight. And now you know some things, but, but what you know has to be coupled with wisdom so that you rightly apply what you know. For example, if you have a concealed and carry license for a gun, and you know how to use the gun. You went to the range. You passed the test, the written, the firing. And I don't know. I don't have one. But I got people by me who have them. And you got to know how to use that thing, right? But wisdom comes in play when you know you got to take it out of the holster. Wisdom knows when you got to keep it in there. Wisdom knows when you got to pull the trigger. It's not just that you know how to shoot it. You got to have wisdom. This says wisdom for life comes from God. Listen, knowledge, anything you need to know about life, where does it start? It starts with God from his mouth, from him speaking into your life and understanding. Understanding, I would probably define that it's the discernment to make decisions. And you're putting two and two together spiritually. And the Holy Spirit is unraveling things and help you to see into something. It's giving you insight and discernment. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. They come from God. So we have to know how to approach God with humility, recognizing that He has the answers to the questions that I need. Where you ask questions make a difference too and the answers that you get. Can I just graciously tell you as a Christian, if you're trying to make these big decisions in your life, don't go ask somebody who's not walking with God. Don't just tune in to Dr. Phil or Oprah or whatever you like. You know, don't go by the, the magazines at the checkout stand at the grocery store and how to make good decisions for your life. Uh-uh. Hook up with somebody who's in the Word. Better than that, get in the Word for yourself. Amen. Become a self-feeder. So much of where we're at today is because of the questions and the answers we received five years ago. And we followed them, and now here we are. The good news is, if we're in a bad place, if we'll turn to God and begin to go to Him with humility and ask Him the questions, He'll give us the answers, and He'll get us out of the holes that we've dug for ourselves. So good. There's a right way in how to ask questions and how to come to God. So, Pastor Robert, as Christians, where do we start What's the starting point? Here's a big key, friends. The starting place is to ask the question. That's a fill in the blank. The question. Here's the question. What does the Bible say? That's the question. Heaven. 
health, gender identity, marriage, divorce, living together, finances, the afterlife, homosexuality, LGBTQ, everything, wars, finances, every question you have about life. Where do we start? We start with asking the question, what does the Bible say? See, it's not what I say matters. It's not what you say matters. It's what God says in His revealed will, the Bible. So if you want to know what God knows and what God says, you have to go to the Bible. This is why we encourage you to be a Bible reader, to be a self-feeder, right? If you're not reading your Bible, I'm praying for you that the Holy Spirit would give you a hunger and a thirst for God and for His Word so that your mind can be renewed, your spirit can be transformed and come up to another level in Jesus. But if you're not reading the Bible and it continues and you're not reading the Bible, listen, you're going to go to heaven, but you won't experience some of heaven on earth. You won't get to the level that God wants you to in Jesus because this is His Word and it's life and it's got all the answers. Amen? Notice that in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, this is such a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture. What does the Bible say? Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived to this place, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. That was the modern church of the day, the Old Testament church. Listen, these people were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Fair-minded meaning they're, they're a little more keen, a little more academic. They were willing to reason things out and kind of lean in with their thinking. They put their thinking caps on like you when we're preaching and teaching the word. Notice that it says this. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that, listen, they received the word of God with all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Notice, they received the word. That means that they were eager. They were full of zeal and excitement. They were ready. They had their catcher's mitts on, right? They were leaning in to receive the word. And then after that, they went home and they said, you know what? I don't think we should just believe everything that Pastor Robert says. We need to search the scriptures daily for ourselves. When it says they search the scriptures, they examine them. They investigated them. They got out their concordances. They got out their Greek. They got out their Hebrew. They got out their commentaries. They asked the Holy Spirit to come and to teach and to show them all of the tools that we have available. Are you kidding me? How many hours a week are we searching the Scriptures and examining them to decide? Is Lakeshore a church that's founded on the Word? Is Lakeshore a church that's teaching sound doctrine? Is that where I should be? Well, don't take my word for it. How do you avoid deception? By knowing the truth for yourself. Notice that. They were eager. Okay, Pastor Robert, so what's your final thought? Come on. It's eleven sixteen. Here's my final thought. If we want to build strong, stable lives in the middle of an unstable world that is opposed and trying to eliminate God's truth, We have to learn to take all of our questions before God 
and filter them through His Word. And if we'll do this, we'll get the right answers and we'll be able to stand on the truth which will always benefit and bless our lives. Amen? But Pastor Robert, how how do I know that the Bible is the truth? Well, you got to come back next Sunday, and that's what we're going to show you. We're going to pick up on that. So so what do we do? No joke, all joking. What What do I do? What do I do now? Okay, I heard that message, right? Questions and questioning. There's a difference, and... How we ask and where we ask, that's a difference. And we got to start with what the Bible says. What do I do when I leave today, Pastor Robert? Here's what you do. Three things. You ready? Simple. First thing you do. Search the Scriptures. Become a searcher. Make a decision. Make a plan. Put it on your calendar. Find a place in your house and become a Scripture searcher. That's the first thing you need to do. Second thing, take your questions to God. So many are dealing with stuff in life and you have questions. Take your questions to God. So many are so deep into the lifestyle that they thought was the right way You're afraid to ask the questions. Because you know in your heart that God's going to give you an answer that doesn't line up with your lifestyle. And then the devil will deceive you into avoiding the question and going to God. And then you stay stuck in that lifestyle and the devil robs you of the blessing of relationship and victory and grace, and provision, and the power of God in your life. And you're going around in the wilderness like the children of Israel for 40 years. Friend, don't let your lifestyle keep you from going to God and asking Him the hard questions. You need the answer from Him. And if He gives you an answer that's hard to receive, He'll give you the grace to make an adjustment. And His grace will guide you through it, whatever the ramifications are. Going God's way is worth it, friend. Here's the last thing you can do. When you find the truth, stand on it, and don't move from it, no matter what. Amen. Have you been blessed by the Word today? Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Come on, let's put our hands over our hearts. Let's put our hands over. I know everybody here. Everybody's saved. Let's put our hands over our hearts and let's make some confessions. Okay? The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit thereof. In other words, you'll get what you say. That's God's word. Amen? Say this after me. Say, Father God, thank you for your word. I receive your word as the truth, as the final authority in my life. I make a decision to bring my questions to you, to search the Scriptures, and to walk in your truth. Holy Spirit, lead me. Guide me. Fill me 
with wisdom, with knowledge, and understanding. Use me to be a light in a dark world. Use me to point people to the truth. As you do this, I'll give Jesus all the credit. I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.